Uh, well, we've been taking a bit of a deeper dive through the Lord's Prayer uh, throughout the month of January, and uh, it's coordinated with a 21-day um, season of fasting, of giving up some things, whether that be food or whatever, social media, sugar, um, and that's coming to an end uh, today. Um, but we've been coordinating that with uh, looking through the Lord's Prayer. The series is called um, Living on a Prayer, and we're hitting the finish line on that as well this morning. Um, each week, uh, we've been starting out by reading through the Lord's Prayer, but this time I want to do that again, but I want to just backtrack a little bit and start at the preface to the prayer. Uh, we haven't looked at that yet. It's in Matthew chapter 6. It starts in verse 5, and... Um, there is a connection between this and what we're going to be looking at this morning. So uh, listen as I read it. It says this, um, and when you pray, um, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So what we've seen is that this Lord's Prayer is a model, um, not a mantra. And, and it lays out a basic framework that helps us structure uh, time together with our Heavenly Father when we pray. And, and, and it's the simplicity of it that really stands out, particularly when you contrast it uh, with the way that the religious leaders in Jesus' day approached prayer, uh, the Pharisees. And, and for them, prayer was an opportunity to put on a show. It was a chance to say, look at me, be impressed, shine the spotlight over here. And, and that was what fueled their prayers, and it's what fueled pretty much all of their acts of devotion. They, they were chasing after the applause of people, and religious activity was really nothing more than a means to achieve that end. And the Pharisees are sort of like a cautionary tale for us of how pride and self-absorption can take over, that we have the capacity to twist and manipulate just about anything into something that makes it about me. And, and that kind of attitude, it's often lurking underneath religious activity. It's, it's called self-righteousness, and when it shows up, it spoils everything. So here, Jesus' first priority is to drive out the pharisaical demons that are in our hearts. You know, there's two ways to approach the Pharisees, right? The Pharisees, we, they show up all throughout the, the Gospels. There's, there's the easy way and the honest way. Um, it's very easy to just distance ourselves from the Pharisees and say, you know, I can't stand those Pharisees. I, I'm so glad I'm not like them. 
It's always them. It's never us. It's them. And I, I just don't get what drives people to do things like that. That's, that's the easy response. The honest response says, I don't like it, but I get that. I get where they're coming from. That the same traces of what drove the Pharisees to do the things they did, too often they're lurking in my own life, in my heart. The pride, the self-centeredness, it's constantly trying to creep in and it never takes a time out, not even when I'm doing the religious stuff, the God stuff. And truth be told, that's when it's most likely to creep in because no one's paying attention. It just slips in undetected. And so to root out that self-righteousness, Jesus tells us to express our devotion to God under the radar screen. He says, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father in secret. Those two words, that phrase, in secret, it's a thread that runs all throughout Jesus' teaching, this Sermon on the Mount, that willingness to do what we do before God alone, without anyone knowing, without anyone watching. In secret is a, it's a spiritual gut check, is what it comes down to. And so when, when we find in ourselves that, that urge to post, like, all that we're sacrificing for the Lord all over social media, right? And to blast it um, because all of our contact list needs to know that we are serious. I am serious. My devotion to God is a notch above yours. When we are just unable to do it in secret, to keep it between me and the Lord and no one else, then What Jesus is saying here is that something is misfiring under the hood of our hearts. And that means pop it open, take a look at what's going on under there, and root out the self-righteousness. The point he's getting at is not that it's never right to to pray publicly. Um, It's that whether public or private, the, the point of prayer is not about impressing people. It's not about showpacing or showcasing my superior spirituality. It's, it's about engaging with an audience of one, connecting with God. And, and so that's, that's the framework that the Lord's Prayer helps us to, to do. So it starts out by remembering who it is we're drawing near to, our Father. Not some abstract deity, But our Father in heaven, the one who knows us, the one who loves us, the one who cares for us. And we go on and we hallow his name. Because unlike us, this heavenly Father of ours is awesome. He he exists in a category all his own. He's the Lord God Almighty, and so we worship him. We exalt his name in prayer, and that kind of That kind of clears the fog in our hearts, right? We start seeing him for who he is, and we remember that he's bigger than anything else that's looming large in our lives. So maybe you've heard it that the bigger God is, the smaller problems become, and the smaller God is, the bigger your problems will appear. That's that's why we hallow him. He doesn't need it, but, but we do. It reorients our lives. And then from there, we... 
we, we lock into what the Father's doing. He says, your will, not mine, be done on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer is about a lot more than just asking God to help me get the stuff on my list that I'm trying to get. It's a matter of grabbing hold of what God is doing, uh, what he wants. And, and the Father's plans are always going to be bigger and better than anything any of us will ever come up with on our own. So prayer dives into that. Then we bring our needs before him, our ongoing physical needs for, for daily bread and, and also our ongoing relational needs. We, we need to receive and extend forgiveness on an ongoing basis. And then that brings us to the last line of the Lord's Prayer. This one invites us to pray for protection. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is a reminder that the setting that we are living out our lives in, it isn't a safe place all the time. There's, there's temptations, and we don't always see them coming. So, so on our own, it is so easy to run right into them and then suffer the consequences. It kind of reminds me of a video game that I played as a kid. I don't know if anyone remembers the game Pitfall. Uh, Pitfall came out on the Atari 2600 back in 1982, I believe. Here are the graphics behind me. This is what it looked like. And believe it or not, back in 1982, we drooled over how great those graphics were. I kid you not. Um, Pitfall is about, uh, the character is Pitfall Harry, and, and he is running through this jungle that's just teeming with all kinds of dangers. There's giant logs that come rolling out towards him. There's quicksand that opens up right in front of him. And there's crocodiles and scorpions and fire pits and snakes, you name it. There's all kinds of pitfalls. And if, if Harry can't navigate around the pitfalls, it's game over. And that's kind of what life is like in many ways, right? For us, there's, there's pitfalls in our paths and temptations, and we can so easily fall into them, run right into them. These temptations that Jesus is referring to in this prayer, these are, these are traps that have been intentionally set by the tempter, by an enemy. This, there's an evil enemy whose goal is to trick us, to trip us up and uh, take us down. So when you translate this line in the, in, of the Lord's Prayer, the, deliver us from evil, um, in the original Greek, there's a, def, a definite article attached to evil. It's, it literally translates not just evil, but the evil one. And it's getting at this reality that underneath the evil, all around us, is an evil one who's putting it all into play, who's pushing the buttons. And that doesn't take away from human responsibility. Uh, Human responsibility is always a reality, but it does add a deeper level of explanation to it. For some of the things we see around our world that just seem inexplicable, make no mistake, you have an actual spiritual adversary. Um, The devil is not a metaphor. His, His name He goes by many names, Satan, Lucifer, the devil, the tempter, the slanderer, among among others. But uh, this enemy hates you. He hates God, 
And his goal is to steal, to kill, and to destroy God's children and God's work. And the strategy he uses is seduction. And this enemy is incredibly crafty. He is cunning and he is sneaky. And he can and will outsmart you and outsmart me 10 out of 10 times. So that's, that's why we pray, Lord, help me. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the tempter's seductive schemes. Now, most of the time, this enemy operates underneath the radar screen in very covert ways. But, but there was one time when Jesus was launching his public ministry that the flip switched from covert to overt, from, from indirect to in your face. And there's a showdown recorded in Matthew chapter 4, two chapters before Jesus taught on the Lord prayer. So it's kind of fascinating. Before inviting us to ask our Father in prayer, lead us not into temptation, um, Jesus was led directly into temptation. Chapter 4 of verse 1 says that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, and the tempter came. Showdown is going to happen, and this is a a showdown that's worth exploring for, for a couple of reasons. One is because it unmasks the enemy's tactics, and that's helpful because although the devil is crafty, he's not a whole lot of, he's not very creative, right? He he still is setting today the same kinds of traps he set back in Jesus' day. And that means that we can become informed and not be ignorant to Satan's schemes, which is what we're called to do. And it's also helpful because Jesus models here for us, here's what it looks like to avoid the pitfalls, to, to navigate the temptations and come out the other side. And so maybe we're going to find here... Um, some of the answers to this prayer that he's inviting us to pray, this Father, lead us not into temptation. Well, we can look at how this encounter went and how Jesus made his way through temptation. So Jesus' temptation, um, it came at the end of a time of fasting. Let me just pause and say that is interesting. We're at the end of a time of fasting. Be prepared. Because when you're deprived, you're vulnerable. When you've gone without something, things are feeding. When you open up our hearts to the Holy Spirit, there's other spirits who are going to try to get in and mess things up. And I know from experience, I know from this past week, but I know from past fasts, I've seen some of the most amazing things happen on the far end of a fast. And I've seen some of the craziest things happen on the far end of a time of fasting. Um, So Jesus had gone without food for 40 days, which I've never done that. That's the point at which the tempter shows up and sets these three traps. Now, we're only going to look at the first one this morning. You can look at the others on your own time. Um, but, But here is what the tempter throws out at Jesus. He says this, if you are the son of God. Let me just stop at that and circle the word if. That's the temptation. That's the trap. This is a full frontal assault on Jesus' identity. In other words, what he's getting at is, Jesus, nothing is settled, you know. You've got something to prove. Either you put on a show 
do something spectacular, or you're nothing. You're no son of God. You're, you're an insignificant nobody. The enemy's appeal is to pride. The devil is baiting Jesus to respond in a way that his pride would flare up and he'd respond and say, oh yeah, I'll show you. Take note, pride comes before the pitfall. The suggested miracle is custom designed to trip Jesus up. He says, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Were you ever hungry and then you just started smelling bread or someone mentions the word bread or just something like that after you haven't been eating for a couple of hours and the, the hunger pains start kind of going into high gear, right? Uh, how do you think that would have sounded to Jesus after 40 days of no food? And sometimes we bypass the reality. We, well, Jesus was God. He wasn't hungry. Yes, he was. He's fully God fully human, do not diminish for one moment the full humanity of our Savior. Verse 2 says that Jesus was hungry, not feigning hunger, real hunger. In fact, I think it's safe to say that he is hungry in a way that very few have ever known. So this is a snapshot of how Satan schemes, how he sets the trap. He's subtle and he's highly strategic. He's pushing the pride button Deceive Jesus into believing he's got something to prove and then set the trap up in such a way that proving it is going to actually satisfy a physical appetite. That bread will be right there. You can chow down that he's been deprived of for a very long time. Hit the pause button. You know, the details may be different, but I think we can relate to that story, many of us, right? Right? This is the point in time where, you know, we've, we've, we've been there, we've seen that. When, when the rationalizations, the justifications start flooding into our minds fast and furious, well, of course I should. I need to. I have to respond. It's so easy to live like we have something to prove. How, how many people, how, how many of us have this, like, low-lying whisper somewhere in the back of our heads telling us constantly, you got to prove it. Significance and identity, these are all issues every one of us, we wrestle with, and it's challenging, it's hard. And so the trap has been set. The question then is, how's Jesus going to respond? What is he going to do? And, and he, he responds, and he's, he first does it by quoting Scripture. He says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus responds, in fact, to all three temptations include those three words. It is written. And it does point to how primary and how powerful the word of God is because we are warring against, we are in battle with an enemy who deals in lies. He deals in deception. He weaponized lies. And so that means there is no option for immersing our lives in the truth. And that's what the Word of God is. The Word of God is, is essential. It's described as the sword of the Spirit. So this is a reminder to keep on getting into God's Word and keep on getting God's Word into you. But there's also 
a deeper layer here because this is echoing back as he's talking about um, every, every word that comes from the mouth of God. Um, this is echoing back to some specific words that Jesus had just heard actually come from his father's mouth. Because this, this scene of Jesus' temptation is immediately after his baptism. When Jesus came out of the water, it says, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Those were the words that Jesus had been feeding on. So, so Satan was tempting, he was speaking, but the father's voice, it was echoing in his life. And that voice had already assured Jesus that he had nothing to prove because he already had the Father's approval. Those words, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, that answered everything. There was nothing at stake, identity established, significance secured. And what's fascinating is that the Father spoke those words to Jesus before he did anything. That's so significant. Before he did any miracles, before he, he taught in the synagogue, before he stood up to the religious and the political leaders, he heard his father say, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. The approval was established in advance. Jesus didn't live for the father's approval or anyone's approval. He lived from his father's approval. And that leaves nothing left to prove. You see, what Satan schemes as a temptation, the father prepares as a trial. That's what's going on here. You know, there's, there's, this, there's this issue, there's this episode that's going down, and, and you question, is this a test or is it a temptation? Now, if you know what the difference between a test, a trial, and a temptation is, linguistically, the answer is nothing. So if you look at a Greek dictionary and you look for the word for trial, the word for test, and the word for temptation, it's the same word. It's the exact same word. Um, the, the translators select the word that best fits the setting of the passage. And it's, it's decided it all has to do with what the intended outcome is. And so here in this scene, the devil has designed this as a trap. This is a temptation. It is custom designed to trip Jesus up. But he's not the only one that's at play. The Father has also designed this as a test. He led Jesus into this encounter with total confidence that his son was going to ace the test. But a test is the only way to show it. So lead us not into temptation is different than lead us not into trials or into testing. Even though it's the same word, James shows us, he tells us that the testing of our faith produces steadfastness, endurance, and that must finish his work and make us complete, mature, not lacking anything. That was the Father's goal for this episode, for Jesus then, and it is for us through the times of testing we go through today. And so Jesus passes the test. Spoiler, we won't go through all three temptations, but he passes the test with flying colors in a way that his disciples never did. He taught them the Lord's Prayer. He taught them to pray. 
lead us not into temptation. And they just kept on falling into the pitfalls, taking the bait. Like when this one town didn't, wasn't responsive to, to, to the gospel. And they say, hey, Lord, should I call down fire from heaven to smite them? No. You know, or they say, make me sit as your right hand, man. When you come in your glory, when you establish your kingdom, I want to be right next to you. You're still not getting it. The ultimate test was at the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember that one? This was, this was the final stop before Jesus is going to the cross and Jesus is pouring out his heart to the Father in prayer. And he wants nothing more than just for his friends to be there with him. And, and, and he is in this deepest mental and emotional anguish to the extent that as he's praying, he's sweating drops of blood. And, and then when he turns from praying, he looks and he sees his disciples, they're asleep. On the absolute worst night of Jesus' life on earth, his best friends are taking a nap. They blew it. Jesus wakes them up. And what he reminds them about, it echoes back to this last line of the Lord's Prayer. He urges them, he says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Stay alert. Keep watching. Keep praying. And, and I don't think that particular moment was what he was referring to, right? They had already blown it, and it was only going to be minutes before he was going to be arrested. And um, if anything, I think that's an exhibit of why Jesus needed to go to the cross, because this is how little we can do for him. But I think what he was referring to was all the nights that were to come after that, the, the temptations that were bound to come after the Lord had gone to the cross, after he was dead and buried, after he rose back to life, after he ascended back to heaven, it's a reminder that the temptations continue to come. It's a, remem- it's a reminder of how real the struggle to pray actually is for them and for us because we are, we're made of flesh, right? The flesh is weak. Maybe this time of fasting, we're dedicating ourselves to prayer. It's just kind of done nothing more than just bring to the service of, man, how miserable I am at praying. Jesus gets that. And even when we struggle to pray, Jesus doesn't smack us down, but he just continues to urge us, struggle with it. Struggle if you must, but don't let that struggle stop you from continuing to pray. Keep on praying because the temptations are going to keep on coming. Don't just pray for 21 days in January or for a season. Keep on praying because the temptations are going to keep on coming. You know, we can make the mistake of reducing what temptation is to just You know, the devil is tempting us to do bad, and God wants us to do good. We use the good-bad analogy, right? And and, uh, whatever bad is, you know, like uh, decadence and drugs and compromise and that sort of thing. And that's an aspect of that. There's a part to it, but it can also completely miss the primary temptation. 
It's not good to bad. It's God to self. It's that self-absorption. It's putting self at the center instead of God. And you know what? One of the easiest ways the enemy can accomplish that purpose is by pushing on our pride buttons, tempting people to turn into Pharisees, pride-filled, self-righteous, religious Pharisees, doing all the right things for all the wrong reasons, taking the bait, believing we've got something to prove, and putting ourselves at the center, showcasing. Look at me. So remember, if you are a child of God, if you have placed saving faith in Jesus Christ and you've trusted in what Jesus accomplished on the cross, that when he died, he died for you to forgive your sins, to bring you into God's family. Listen, if that is you, please understand that means you are in Christ. And if you are in Christ, that means that just like Jesus, you have nothing to prove. You have nothing to prove. For some of you, that may be the most important thing you hear this morning. You are the beloved of God. We have become the beloved, and with you, the Father is well pleased. Why? Because of how good you are? No, because you're in Jesus, because of how good he is. And when that starts seeping into our souls, it frees us. Stop trying to get from others what can only come from God his approval, his blessing. That frees us to love others without having to love back. It, it frees us to give freely instead of constantly seeking some kind of return. It frees us to pray privately without needing to impress anyone. You see, private prayer, maybe more than anything else, is where pride goes to die. Private prayers get prayed in humbleness, sometimes in desperate dependence. And maybe that's why so often it is a struggle for us. The Lord's Prayer, it's, it's not a God is my co-pilot kind of prayer, right? It's, it's Jesus, take the wheel. That's the kind of prayer this Lord's Prayer is. It's, it's this daily declaration of dependence that Lord, I need you to lead me not into temptation because if you don't and I'm left to my own devices, I know how prone I am to wander. I know how quickly I will proceed directly into some kind of pitfall that I won't see coming and it'll turn into game over real quick. Private prayer. It's where humility is generated. It's where gratitude grows. It's where the soul blossoms. And that means time with our Heavenly Father is always time well spent. And so whether it's a struggle to do that or whether it's sweet and sometimes it's just a mixture of both, let's just keep on going after him and finding in him all that he is and all that he has for us. Let's pray together.